Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again today. Thank you for faithfully tuning in. And uh, I know we're building a new audience, and uh, uh, many of you have written to us, and we are just so encouraged by your cards and letters and your emails to, uh, to our ministry. And uh, we thank you for that because it encourages us to keep on going. Let me say again that we have taught for a hundred and some weeks on the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter. I think we've brought, I feel like at least we have documented why we believe what we believe, and then you have the human prerogative to believe whatever you think the Spirit says to you. The thrust of the book of Revelation, John the Revelator begins to say, come and see. In the beginning of this book of Revelation, several places, he says, the Spirit says to him, come and see, come and see, come and see. He repeats it over and over. As you get to the latter part of the book of Revelation, it begins to say, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. It is my hope that as we're coming to the concluding chapters of this book that you can say, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. And for the last three programs, we've dealt with the whole idea of a new heaven and a new earth from Revelation 21. We're going to touch just a little bit more here today on the first part of that uh, chapter in uh, Revelation, chapter 21. So. Uh, we're going to uh, go to Revelation, if you go with me, uh, to the, uh, the book of Revelation, chapter number 21. I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse uh, number 1. And it says, the Revelation, I'm sorry, I'm, that, I went to chapter 1. I need to go to chapter 21. Sorry about that. Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write these words, are true and faithful. He said unto me, it is done. It is done. Repeat that again. It is done. It is finished. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that's the thirst of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I'll be his God and he'll be my son. But the fearful, unbelieving, and abominable murders and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Now, let me just come back again. We've dealt with, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We dealt with how that is the new creation. We've, that we've already dealt with that. I'm not going to reiterate. We dealt with, uh, especially in last week's segment, we talked about a new temple. God moved out of a physical building into the house that we are. Uh, so we've, there's, several, there's several symbols here, and every one of them is screaming new creation. I think it is so incredible that God is literally uh, saying, you know, God will be with them. He'll be His people. We talked about last week, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, Revelation 21 says in the Message Bible. He's made His home with men. It is the Emmanuel of God. It is God realizing His dream to live and dwell among His people. It is the redemption or the restoration 
of how it was in the garden before it got messed up, except it's one step better in Revelation because there's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That old system, uh, to me, dealt with the whole law system. The knowledge of good and evil came through the law, for by the law was the knowledge of sin. The old covenant Jerusalem, the old covenant people of God, the old covenant temple, everything about that old system was now passing off the scene, and now there's a new tabernacle. There's a new creation. There's a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to talk today a little bit more about the new Jerusalem. Now, he uses this icon. He uses the, a new heaven and a new earth. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He talks about the new Jerusalem and the bride, the Lamb's wife. All of those things, folks, are talking about us in the new creation. We're the bride, the Lamb's wife. This, I mean, just the very simple keys that when he looked for this city, all of a sudden he realizes, he said, come here, I'm going to show you the bride, the Lamb's wife, and all of a sudden you see a city coming down out of heaven. This new Jerusalem is the bride that we talked about when we were, uh, when we were teaching back several weeks back on uh, the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready on the heels of the harlot of Babylon being destroyed. The moment old apostate harlot system of the old Jerusalem, it's a tale of two cities. The Spirit equates the harlotry and the whoredoms of Jerusalem with Babylon. He calls her Babylon. He calls her Jezebel in the early part. He calls her Sodom and Egypt in Revelation 11. He's talking about that old covenant people of God that were based on that covenant agreement have now passed off the scene, and a new covenant has come on the scene, and with it comes a new bride, a new tabernacle, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth. All of those icons and pictures are not concepts that are foreign throughout the Scriptures. We showed you how the new heaven and the new earth dealt with the new creation even throughout the book of Isaiah 60 through 65, you'll see it in the context of him holding out his hands all day long to a rebellious people and then saying to them, listen, I'm about to take it from you and give it to another nation. And then he begins to say in the latter part of Isaiah 65, verse 17, behold, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former will not be remembered or come into mind. For I, he said, "Before behold, I create uh, uh, Jerusalem rejoicing in her people of joy, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem, joy in my people. Uh, that's the new people of God, the new bride of Christ. I want to go uh, with that thought and show you, first of all, a couple places in the Scripture uh, where it's talking concerning this new bride. If you have your Bible, this is uh, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, and I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Bible. It says, Tell me, you who are bent on being under the law, will you listen to what the law really says? Now this is Galatians 4, verse 21 to 31. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondmaid and one by the free woman. But whereas the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh and had an ordinary birth, the son of the free woman was born in fulfillment of the promise. In other words, one had an ordinary birth, one had a supernatural birth. Now all this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant originated from Mount Sinai where the law was given and bears children destined for slavery. This is Hagar. Now remember, it's a tale of two cities, a tale of two women, a tale of two brides. There's a harlot and there's a bride, you see in the book of Revelation. 
there's two women. All through the Scripture, you've got these two women that are always dealing with, even, you know, I, could, I probably shouldn't even sidetrack and say it, but even Matthew 24 said, two women will be grinding at the mill. To me, again, it's picturing sometimes two covenants. And uh, one of them is taken, the other left. And one of them is being removed as the old covenant. He said, now this, all this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant originated out in Mount Sinai, that's where the law was given, and bears children destined for slavery, that's Hagar. Now Hagar is and stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds and belongs in the same category with the present Jerusalem, for she is in bondage together with her children. So this is not my opinion. This is Paul writing to the Galatians who are wanting to go back under law, and he's saying to them, listen, there's two covenants, there's two women, Hagar and Sarah. Hagar, which Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds, watch this, and belongs in the same category with the present Jerusalem. So here's the Holy Spirit connecting that old covenant Jerusalem with Mount Sinai and that old covenant, and is in bondage with her children to this day, so that, he, that, that freedom does not come from natural descent. It can only come through supernatural birth. So we see that Sinai and Arabia is, belongs in the same category with the present Jerusalem, for she is in bondage together with her children. But the Jerusalem which is above, the Messianic kingdom of Christ is free and she is our mother. In other words, I told you in, I believe, uh, four programs ago that there was a messianic rebirth of the world and that this Jerusalem, this messianic kingdom of Christ came on the scene over 2,000 years ago and we have availability to it. She's our mother. She's not going, I thank God for, if, if this is in our future, if this, this, this Jerusalem is in our future, uh, we're still up under law, folks. I mean, I don't understand how some of these guys that preach grace can't see the difference uh, when they get into Galatians, especially in dealing with how we deal with the natural Israel and the spiritual Israel of God. And I'm not saying God is excluding, nor is He replacing anyone. He's not excluding Israel. He's just telling them He draws a bigger circle, especially even in the Romans 11 exercise. Uh, the emphasis is not whether you're a natural branch or grafted in. The emphasis is what root are you connected to? So if you don't connect it, I mean, clear up to chapter 11, the whole book of Romans is written to show you that he's not a Jew, which is one outwardly, but he is one that's inwardly and has a circumcision of the heart. And I think it's another gospel when we preach and tell uh, Jews that they have a special league with God outside of the new birth. I, I, I really want to say to, to Jewish people who would be watching uh, that we are not anti-Semitic, first of all. We're just trying to get everybody to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and outside of their faith in Him, there's no other way into the covenants of promise and there's no other way to become uh, an heir of God or a joint heir with Him. So he goes on to say the Messianic kingdom, but Jerusalem which is above, which is the messianic kingdom of Christ is free and she is our mother. For it is written in the scripture, Rejoice, O barren woman who has not given birth to children. Break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not feeling birth pains. For the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. But we, brethren, are children, not by physical descent as was Ishmael, but, but, are, but like Isaac, born in virtue of the promise. Now see, again, I want to just look at this so closely. He says, I mean, he's really quoting directly from Isaiah 54. Rejoice, you that have been barren, and you that have not given birth, and break forth into a joyful shout. 
for you who are not feeling birth pains, because the desolate woman has many more children than she has a husband. In other words, it may not look productive. Hallelujah. To preach grace and to preach the new covenant. But I'm telling you, this thing is going to have many more children than the ones that have looked like they've been successful is Ishmael. I'm, I'm telling you Ishmael, which to me speaks of what we produced out of human sweat labor and what Abraham could produce out of human strength. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, with Hagar, who speaks of uh, old covenant. An old covenant performance can only bring forth an Ishmael. And an Ishmael looks like Abraham in the face, but it has the heart of an Egyptian beaten in its breast. And what Ishmael represents to me is Old Covenant religion. And all Old Covenant religion will do is persecute the son of the free woman. Man, you want to be careful which side you're on when you're persecuting, because you might be persecuting the son of the free woman. But, but, but when I think about this, this Ishmael, it, was so, looked, it looked so good to Abraham that Abraham said, Oh God, let Ishmael live forever. But when God, remember, told him to take Isaac up the mountain and offer him, he said, Take now thy son, your only son. God only recognized the one son, and that was the son that came by supernatural birth. I submit to you today that God is still only recognizing one son, and that's the son of promise. Jesus was the firstborn of that seed. Galatians 4 said that the promise was made uh, not to Abraham's seed as of many, but to one seed, and thy seed which is Christ. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'm telling you, we're part of a new Jerusalem. We're part of the messianic kingdom of Christ. And that's not somewhere out in the distant future. That's something that was available from the first century on. It goes on to say, For it is written in the Scripture, Rejoice, O barren woman, who has not given birth to children. Break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not feeling birth pains. For the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. But we, brethren, are children, not by physical descent, as was Ishmael, but like Isaac, we were born in virtue of the promise. Yet just as at that time the child of the ordinary birth, according to the flesh, despised and persecuted him who was born remarkably, according to the promise and the working of the Holy Spirit, so it is now. But what does the Scripture say? It's not my opinion, this is God's Word. What does the Scripture say? Cast out and send away the slave woman and her son. For never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share in the inheritance with the son of the free woman. This is as clear as I know how to make it. If you are not born again, you're not going to share an inheritance with the son of the free woman. It says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. That's exactly what occurred in the latter part of, uh, uh, of 66 AD through 70 AD, the removing of an old covenant, Israel, the move, removing of an old covenant Jerusalem, the removing of an old covenant tabernacle. God was casting out the bondwoman and her son because there was a messianic kingdom, a new Jerusalem, a new Israel, a new bride, which included born-again believers. I mean, I believe that a great deal of the first fruits, even in the book of Revelation, were out of that same Israel of God, Romans 11 said, there was a remnant that was preserved according to the election of grace. But here's the bottom line. It's not about race. It's about grace. See, this, when we break, what we try to do is we build back up the middle wall of partition that's been broken down. And we try to separate it and make, well, God, you know, uh, well, I, I don't want to get into all of that. But the reality of it is it's not about race. It's about grace. It is by grace that you are saved. God puts us on equal ground because the point is, are you in Christ? 
Are you on Mount Sinai or are you in the Messianic kingdom of God? Did you come by natural birth or did you come by supernatural birth? That's as clear as I know how to make it. You must be born again. And Jesus was even telling Nicodemus that and that he had a natural birth and he was a ruler in the synagogue, but he told him, you must be born again. So that your natural birth is not enough. And he goes on to say, send away the slave woman and her son for never, never, not, not, listen, never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share in the inheritance with the son of the free woman. So brethren, we who are born again are not children of a slave woman, the natural, but of the free, which is the supernatural. Uh, let me quote you something uh, this, this is from uh, a quote from a very, very respected theologian. As a matter of fact, this is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, uh, uh, let's see how Charles Spurgeon viewed the meaning of the new heavens and the new earth in this excerpt from a sermon he preached in 1865. And this is his quote. Did you ever regret the absence of a burnt offering or the red heifer or any one of the sacrifices and rites of the Jews? Did you ever pine for the feast of tabernacle or the dedication? No, because though these were like the old heavens and earth to the Jewish believers, they have passed away, and we now live under the new heavens and the new earth so far as the dispensation of divine teaching is concerned. The substance has come, the shadow has gone, and we do not remember it anymore. And he preached that in the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit uh, back in 1865. That's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. See, uh, respected theologians see many things, just like uh, I, I'm trying to tell you. In other words, we've lost so many things, uh, you know, in, 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 in trying to, to make everything so natural. We've, we've got so carnally minded that we, we can't see spiritual things. Let me then take you with that thought. I want to, you know, I talked about it the last segment, but I want to get it from, uh, straight from the, the spot where it is in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I'm going there. Uh, while I'm also going there, let me also mention that there is a scripture in the book of Peter. I think it is in, uh, let me see, I've got it written down here. But uh, he talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 12 through 13, he talks about there, he says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. That's Peter. That's from the book of Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 through 13. Looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God, when the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The heavens were dissolved in the removing and literally physical burning of the temple, because that was the centerpiece of their covenant. And without a tabernacle, without a temple, there's no animal sacrifice, there's no priesthood, there's no Levitical system. God literally did that. Interestingly enough, the word here said, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, have nothing to do, listen to me, somebody out there that's scared about this, have nothing to do with a nuclear bomb from Iran or North Korea. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to be concerned about stuff going on in our world, but the elements melting here with a fervent heat are not prophesying of a coming nuclear exchange. 
that what they're talking about here is the melting of that old covenant system. And when it says the elements shall melt with the fervent heat, the only other place, well, not the only other, but several places, but this word elements is the Greek word stoichion, and every time it's used, it is in relationship to this old temple system, this old covenant system, and he talks about it in the book of Galatians, where I just read here in Galatians chapter 4, but prior to that, he says, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements wherein you desire to be in bondage. The weak and beggarly elements was the elements of an old covenant system. Uh, the Apostle Paul also uses this word in Colossians when he says that we are no longer under the rudiments of this world or the elements of the old covenant system. Those elements literally and physically melted with a fervent heat. And again, I'm going to show you that in the context here of Hebrews uh, chapter 12. It says again, beginning in verse number 18, For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and to burn with fire, nor to blackness, darkness, and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet, the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Watch this. That was Old Covenant Sinai. That's where the Old Covenant was given, that first part. That fear and trembling is a direct quote. Or it's direct from when they crossed the Red Sea. God gave them at that point the Old Covenant law. That's where He uh, planted the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth and established a Old Covenant. That was the Old Heaven and the Old Earth that passed away. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Verse 22. But you are coming. You're not coming to, you're not marching to, under the old covenant you might have been coming to. But he said, but you are come to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, and to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come there. The new covenant is that. And to an innumerable company, or literally a feastal gathering of angels. You've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And you've come to God, the judge of all. And you've come to the spirits of just men made perfect. And you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that sprinkles better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not, who refused him who spoke on earth. That was at Sinai. How much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaketh from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth at Sinai, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This is powerful to me. Not only did I shake the, I have shook the earth, but I'm going to also shake the heavens. And this word yet once more signifying the removing of the things that are shaken as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. What he said, listen, the shaking that Hebrews 12 is talking about is not somewhere out in our future when there's political upheaval. He's talking about the shaking that came from a word not coming from Sinai and blackness and darkness and Old Covenant, but the word being released from heaven. And he said, you know what? If they didn't escape who refused the covenant that came from earth, you're not going to escape if you're refusing this new covenant. He's talking to Hebrews here. He's saying to them, don't go back to Judaism. Matter of fact, when he talks about if you sin willfully, He's talking about them missing the mark and going back to the Old Covenant and offering blood sacrifices. He said, if you do that, you have to walk back over the blood of Jesus and say the blood of Jesus was not enough. You will do despite to the Spirit of grace, and you will trample underfoot 
the blood of Jesus, and you are treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of judgment and fire indignation. That came within three and a half years, I believe it was, or four, of this being written in Hebrews, and he's telling them everything that can be shaken is about to be shaken. The heavens and the earth are about to pass away. Uh, 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 he, you know, the even, uh, but also the heavens are being shaken. When you see the context of what I'm sharing this with you in context of the Word, using the Word to interpret the Word, what was being shaken was their whole understanding of the dynamics of God, their whole system of law, their whole system of connecting with God. The heavens and the earth were shaking. They were about to be touched. Everything that could be shaken was being shaken, and what remained was a kingdom which can't be removed. Man, that's good news to me. The kingdom came on the scene, and the, uh, and the grace of God that came with it, and he went on to say, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be removed. They were receiving the kingdom at that point. That was replacing this old covenant government. He said, let us have grace, because that's what the currency of the kingdom is. It's grace. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And literally, physically, the old one melted, it passed away with a great noise, it literally melted with a fervent heat. And Peter said, We are looking for and we're hasting to, anxious for, if you will, the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. That's not somewhere out in our future. Righteousness came and was the first ingredient of the kingdom because the kingdom is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy, it's located in the Holy Ghost. And once again, he says also in Revelation, to him that overcomes, I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. And he'll be my son, and I'll be his God. And, and that's a promise to the overcomer. Listen, folks. The city of God is not a place, it's a people. The tabernacle of God is not a building, it's a people. The new heavens and the new earth are a new covenant people of God. The old heaven and the old earth was the old Israel of God, the old tabernacle, the old system, the old creation. God has given birth to a new creation in Christ. He's making all things new. He's going to wipe all tears off of every eye, and He says to him that overcomes, He'll be my son, I'll be his God. And that's all wording from Revelation 21. In the next segment, I'm going to talk about the water of life and God wiping tears from their eyes. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have a moment, take a moment to write to us and, and uh, let us know if we're being clear. You know, we understand these things and we trust that we're communicating them as clearly as we know how. And uh, your words of encouragement really help me to continue doing this. And your financial support and your prayers is what keeps this ministry going. If you believe in what we're doing uh, and you're feeding from our ministry, we ask you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. We have no gimmicks. No, we're not trying to get your name so we can barrage you with a bunch of information. We simply believe God is able to lay it on hearts of His people to support. If you want to do that, call the number on the screen. You can also get prayer by calling that number on the screen. Somebody stand by right now and take your call. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.